This is a HeadGum Podcast. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So before we start the episode, I thought it would be really fun to read some of the comments that you guys have written on the Apple Podcast Review page. At the end of each episode, I ask you to rate us five stars. But in order to rate us five stars, I think that you have to like say something in the box. So I'm going to share my favorite each week from this day forward. Today's comment is from Kenna Schrader, and it says, Just perfect timing with each podcast, and it is such good unbiased advice combined with personal experience. Why do I like it? Because I'm very biased. Here's another biased opinion. Scones are bad. Leave your comment for a chance to be read on a future episode of Just a Tip. I'm going to be continuously picking my favorite ones, so go out there and make it funny. That's my pep talk every morning. If you're looking for advice from a real girl who might not have the answers, but goddamn she'll try just a tip, then you'll be on your way. With Meg and Batoon on Friday. Welcome to Just a Tip, an advice podcast hosted by me, Megan Batoon. One time I ordered a table for my dining room that was too big, so I just kept it because it was too heavy to put back in a box to return. That's my life. That's why I have a friend here to help me help you. Brian, hello. You kept a table in a box? I opened it and I didn't put it back in the box when it was too big. It's way It eats up my entire dining is room. It the, is it the place to live now or is it the place yeah. to live? <laughs> and it was just way too heavy. It was like... 200 pounds. And so I was like, I guess I'll just keep it. But I don't love it. But I'm going to keep it. I'm, I'm not even going to chime in on what you're doing with your house. <laughs> I, you are a beast all on your own, the things that you put in that place. It's almost done. Maybe. No, it's not. You're right. No, it isn't. I did just lie. It is not almost done, but I am going to be fine with it. Okay. I, I kind of believe that. Good. Brian, I'm not going. We oh, we did a quick internet stalk on you, and we found okay <laughs> that you were a Times Square bystander in the Amazing Spider-Man Two. Did I not talk to you about that before? I think we mentioned it briefly. All right, but it was we try and find like one obscure. You want me fact. to tell you that story? Yes. So uh, that was um, I don't know what year that was. A couple years ago, and the Amazing Spider-Man Two was mm-hmm. coming out. I think in May or something. And I got an audition for it in April. And I was like, what? Whoa. I've seen two trailers for this. Why do I have an audition for it? So right. I had an audition for director Mark Webb. And basically what happened was <laughs> they had shown the movie to a bunch of test audiences. And there's a big fight in the middle of the movie where Spider-Man is like thrown. It's in Times Square and he's thrown into some like giant screen. And he doesn't get electrocuted. And apparently the audiences were very confused why he wasn't electrocuted. Mm. So they filmed this scene of a news reporter being like, we're here in Times Square and blah, blah, blah. Excuse me, sir. What happened? And there's like some nerd, me, who's like, well, what happened is uh, (laughs) Spider-Man flew into the screen. And then it's like all this like mumbo jumbo jargon of why he wasn't electrocuted because of his suit. 
that I just like I memorized by rote. I have no idea what I said. But basically, they just needed to insert this little scene at the last minute because the exposition was uh, it was just like an expository scene. So it was like a crazy thing to just like throw in there. It's a, t- a totally unnecessary scene. I think it was like a studio note, to be honest, because it's like That's it's one of those things where it's like people don't understand why he's not being electrocuted. Where in reality, audiences don't give a shit about right. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Wait, can we easily find this, or is it not? Yeah. Easy? I'm, I mean, if you just pull up the Amazing Spider-Man two, you know, pull and watch up. the entire thing, you'll see. <laughs> I don't know if there's a clip of it on YouTube, but I'm sure it's in like I think it's like right in the middle of the movie. I don't think um, I've seen this movie. Uh, yeah, I don't think you have either. How do you I know mean, what I've seen? Because I don't think you go see superhero movies. No, but I do like Spider-Man. That's my favorite one. I didn't know that. Um, it was the second one. I mean, like, what are they on their fifth so wait, reboot? Wait, Tobey Maguire. Wait, is that no. his name? See, this is no, the Andrew the Garfield one? one. Oh, that guy. Yeah, yeah, in Emma Stone. With Emma, yes, I saw this. <laughs> yes, I saw this. <laughs> this is when one scene, like, a wall breaks down and she's in a cafe with a dress. Sure, I don't and know. And it's like, okay, this is like a beauty shot for uh, no reason. Yeah, it could be. Is I'm not. This? I'm, I'm not sure. This had the, when she died, it was, like, very intense. I don't know. What? I, Did I, you I, not see the movie? I you're watched in? my scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's also funny is I kept my call sheet because it's like that call sheet for that day because you know they number all the actors. Sure. Are it you said, number one? It said no. Of course not. It said one Andrew Garfield, <laughs> two Emma Stone, four Sally Field, one hundred and twenty-eight Brian McLean. <laughs> I was like, this is good. I want to keep this. <laughs> You're going to like it. Wait, I look like a friggin' nerd in it. Did I see this movie? Are you wearing glasses or no? Oh, yeah, these horrible glasses. My hair's like slicked down. I'm wearing this like gray bomber jacket, I think. It's just like, it's a bad look. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Very, very cool. This isn't a podcast about The Amazing Spider-Man 2, although I wish it were. <laughs> it's an advice podcast. You write into us with all of your sticky situations, and you trust us with giving you... Uh, what we think could help your lives. And I don't know why you trust us with this. We're not professionals in any way. I, I disagree. Uh, tell me why. Because we have lived more life than some people. Some. Because I'm 27, you're 32. 32. That's more life than other people have lived. Okay. Right? I'm an idiot, though, still. <laughs> Same. So, yeah, here's the thing. If your question that I answer, if I answer your question and it's a serious question in your life, just don't. Don't take my advice. Go talk to someone. <laughs> Go talk to a professional. Uh, I, I just, I really, I'm a, tr- I'm a true idiot. But right, you just are a professional. It. You're a professional comedy man. It's true. If you have a it's question true. about how to structure sketch comedy, I feel like then I can give you some I, advice. Wait, can I ask some questions? Sure. <laughs> you want you want to know how to structure sketch yes. comedy? Yes. My issue with writing sketches is the, I guess the escalation is fine, but like getting the right punchline, like getting the right little button on it. The final button. Yeah. I think the button is so important. Would it's you? It's so important. And well, so many yeah. people don't do it. Um, I think the button kind of tells you what you just watched. It's a, like some of our Britannic sketches, I feel like our button, a button can shape everything you just saw and sort of like give a... It can kind of flip the perspective of everything or it can like remind you again like what's often I think our buttons, we start out with like a common premise or a truth. Mm-hmm. It heightens to something insane and the button kind of brings the audience back to remember what it was all about at the beginning because right. often you've gone so far away that you have to come back. But every sketch has its own version of a button. Would um, you ever figure out what the button would be before you write the sketch though? Sketches kind of come in all different ways. Like sometimes you start with a whole idea, sometimes you start with a moment. Sometimes a button is very 
like we have a sketch called The Kiss. Have you seen that one? Yes. Where Nick and I, so that button of Nick being like, you know what? This is moving pretty fast. Maybe we should just take it slow. I just mm-hmm. got out of a long relationship. We should take it slow. That was just so obviously the button to that sketch for us when we started. And then we kind of discovered all like the little, the nuances of how it heightened in the middle. Got but it. it was like clear. It's like, oh, that's so funny that a guy is trying so hard to get this girl to the fact where he kills his best friend. Mm-hmm. But then once he like gets her, he like pulls back on it. Like that just seemed like so obviously the truth. So like that one we knew kind of where the button was before we knew all the details. But sometimes we know the entire sketch and we're like, what's the goddamn button? Like oh. that takes forever sometimes to figure out. And then how, does it just come to you or do you visit different opportunities that it could be? We visit literally every opportunity. I mean, it, that's why it takes us forever to write a sketch because Nick and I just sort of scream at each other for weeks until we find a button. <laughs> They're so good though. Like you guys have, you have a specific voice that nobody else says like the two of you i just you guys are my favorite forever thank you and i can't i always talk about you guys the best sketches ever that i've seen they're just so smart and so tight that means a lot thank you so much um thanks we try really hard in all aspects from writing to performing to editing like i love making it i think also that's why i've gotten into music recently is like i love the musicality of editing and the rhythm of comedy so like i I almost want to like close my eyes and listen to a sketch and have it sound like music to me. That's a yeah. very important part I, of it. One time I was editing something and you had mentioned that. Yeah. You were like, close your eyes and listen to it. And Was it that awesome sketch we did where I was throwing the cards down and you danced to It uh, might have been. Yeah, I did a... I just did a, a dance. <laughs> I did a dance to of a Kim Possible theme song and I had you in the beginning. Well, you threw the cards. That was your actor's choice. I feel like I... I, I just said whatever I wanted to say. I don't know if I listened <laughs> you to you at did. all. <laughs> um, but I remember you saying that. And ever since then, anytime, I mean, I, I seldom edits or write sketches or anything like that because they're mainly just normal, like, talky videos. But whenever it is a sketch, sometimes I don't remember what the timing of natural conversation is because mm-hmm. there's, like, a little bit of pausing. And so when I'm editing a sketch, I'm like, we got to get to the jokes right away. It needs to be, like, quick, 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 quick. And it's like, no, you got to have some breathing room for things to land. Yeah, you got to play around with that. That's the thing. You also just have to, like, just try out spacing and pauses and tightening up and loosening. You sort of just you – have, you have to really love wanting to sit with your thing. Mm-hmm to be good because it's like if you just want to like get it done you don't like editing it's like here it's done then it's not going to be good like yeah. you really just have to like let it stew like that's the that was like an issue to me with SNL is that it just happens so quickly right that like because I feel like you can see a lot of uh, people being like SNL like what a like you know it's not not as good anymore or, like it's never been good it's like whatever and it's like well here's the thing it's like people working at the top of their game mm-hmm. but making a show in three days really so it's like you just you can Something can only be so high of quality after three days of work. Like, right. I just think things in general take time. Like, often ideas we have, we have a great idea, we think, and then a month later we find out really what it's supposed to be about. And then two months later we find out really what that's supposed to be about. So sometimes it just things just take a lot of time and it has nothing to do with the talent of people behind it. It's just like an idea takes a long time to gestate. Yeah. When you did work at SNL, what's the one thing that you learned the most? Like, because you and Nick are so used to spending so much time doing sketches on your own, what did, like, the quick turnaround time teach you? Did you take anything from your time at SNL that you could uh, apply to different parts of your life? Oh, I mean, in terms of comedy or life? Both. Oh, man. Um, I mean, in terms of comedy, we definitely learned that we can totally overthink things. Because sometimes, even though I, I just said that, things need time to breathe sometimes you can absolutely overthink something and like have something right there and your first instinct is actually really what it's supposed to be because that's what made you laugh Mm. and then just sort of like 
belabor it, belabor it. And then by the end, you've turned this funny thing into something not funny because you've put so much work into it. Yeah. So we've learned, we learned like sometimes you just have to like go very quickly and that's a good thing. In terms of life, oh man, I don't know what I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I learned that I need sunlight more often than I get in the middle of 30 Rock, um, which is <laughs> there's no windows anywhere. Yeah. Um, I guess I learned a lot of stuff. Um, well, that's for another day. <laughs> that's for another day. Um, very, I learned a lot just now. So the podcast is over. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, let's jump into people's questions. Okay, great. That are not about, maybe they're about writing. We don't know yet. We'll figure it out. Okay. Now. I'm 21 and am unbearably shy. I am currently freelancing and I have no problem when it comes to talking business or speaking with clients, but I never have the courage to cultivate personal relationships. I always feel like I don't fit in and end up reacting to things that other people say instead of being a part of the conversation. How can I learn to be more outgoing when it comes to making friends? From Social Caterpillar, because I want to be a butterfly, but I haven't cocooned yet. I have so much empathy for this person. Same. Well, I have empathy in the way that I am this yeah, person. I, that's why I think you... <laughs> yeah, maybe I have sympathy is what it is. <laughs> I have empathy. You have sympathy. Yeah, we were just talking about this before we started. I feel like I don't yeah. know how to make friends. And I don't... I feel like I have a, a small group of friends. And I, it's not large. I'm not an extrovert. So it's very difficult to meet new people and to cultivate relationships. Because I'm just like, I want to be alone or with one person. It's funny. I feel like yeah, you you could maybe speak to this more. It's I, I always find that so interesting that you say that because you do not literally all of my friends when I say you're an introvert, they're like, No, she's not. I'm like, she is. And it's so weird because you do not present yourself that way yeah. at all. I think it's I've gotten crazy. good at faking it. Because yes, that's you my have. job. I have to. Yeah. You know, I gotta put on this hat that I'm an extrovert, but I well, don't wanna wear a hat hat hair. Well, do you want so are you like this person where you want more friends? Yeah. So what 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 do you think prevents you from having them because it looks like you when i've introduced you to people or i've seen you meet people you seem to get along with them very well and it looks like you're friends with them so it's like what but i feel like meeting some people and being nice off the bat is great but like what happens after that they're not a friend you're right friend is like a verb it it takes it takes a energy and like you have to be with that person yeah i i guess if we're gonna go back to this what's her uh caterpillar social caterpillar caterpillar I think everyone suffers from this. Like, even if you think people don't, they are. Like, even the most extroverted of my friends, it's very easy to think that everyone else can make friends really easily and you are the social outcast. When, in reality, a lot of people at a party are, are all thinking the same thing, which mm-hmm. is like, Does, do these people like me? Do I look like a loser here? Like, that happens to everyone. I think a good thing to do is, like, find start with just finding one good friend like that's something that's like really helped me because i've i've had moments where i've felt like completely untethered from the world and i i didn't really have any you know for whatever reasons i felt like a little bit down on myself or whatever but if i can just call one person or spend like go to a party with one person or like have a great dinner with one person Mm -hmm. and like really connect i feel invincible like it's like that's it's like having like a a partner in crime like when i'm with nick and we go to parties i feel so much more confident than when i'm by myself um just because i have like a a person there that's like 
Now, how do you get that one person? Uh, yeah. That's, uh, I don't know. That's different for, <laughs> for each person. But it sounds like you, she said she's like great in business, like in like she can speak to people and everything. So it, it feels like it's not that she's actually shy about talking. Like literally, it sounds like this person can actually go out in the world and exist. It's just like something personal is making them feel maybe inadequate to to feel loved or feel close to someone. Yeah, they mentioned that they end up reacting to things instead of being a part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. So when that happens to me, I only react to things and and don't offer up what I think when I feel like I'm stupid. Like if I'm around a bunch of really smart people, I'll just be like, yeah, totally. Oh, I understand. Absolutely. Because I don't want to, what if I say something wrong and it's dumb? You know, I feel the same way. I've definitely felt that way in like writer's rooms too because comedians can be a lot. Yeah. Um, And I find myself shutting down. If I'm in a place where people, if I don't feel like I'm, if I feel like I'm going to be made fun of or mm. people are just like going to dismiss me if I speak up, I don't. I, I'm just like, I, I literally shut down. I, I was very, very shy as a kid. I still am in certain places, but like I I won't even engage if I feel that way. So maybe it's like I've had moments where I'm like, oh, I'm not hanging around the right people because sometimes it's like when I'm around people who really like feel open and like they accept me, I feel great speaking up and like being a part of the conversation. And when I'm around groups of people that aren't like that and are just trying to be like kind of too cool, yeah. I shut down. So part of it could be the people you're around. Sure. But part of it is also, I'm sure, a personal thing where you have to figure out why maybe you feel like you're not worthy of being a part of conversation. Right. I feel like she she's really good at talking business and speaking with clients. So what happens if you maybe try and make a relationship with other people that are in the same business as you? Maybe not like if That's you have a coworker yeah. or if you don't want to like metal work in in personal life, maybe find someone that does something that similar to what you do and mm-hmm. then you can commiserate or bond over what's going on at work and then at least you have something to talk on. You have ground to stand on. And maybe they'll be similar to you. Maybe your certain profession attracts types of people who have the same sort of thing and you guys can almost bond over that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is a this is a lifelong journey for most people. But I will say this. Know that you're not alone. Like, that's a huge thing. It's like, yeah. know that, like, other people are probably, if you're talking to someone, you're like, I'm just reacting to this conversation. I don't want to jump in. Maybe I feel like I'm stupid. The person you're talking to or the group of people, they may all feel exactly the same thing mm-hmm. about you. It's very common to have that happen. And I, I maybe just, I encourage you to be bold and try it out. Try, try jumping in to... Uh, the deep end. <laughs> Am I poetic or what? One time, I jumped into the shallow end of my pool. All right, well, here we go. For I don't know what reason. I think I forgot that it was the shallow end, and I just wanted to be in the pool so badly. Megan. So I jumped directly into the shallow end, and I chipped my front tooth. So wait, you jumped in, what, head first? Well, I put my arms out. You dove. I dove. <laughs> but I think maybe I didn't. You, you dove, but maybe you didn't. I think I maybe dove. Oh, you know what I did? So I wasn't wearing goggles, so my eyes were closed. So I dove into the shallow end. We were, talking, we were, we were trying to give advice <laughs> on this lofty subject, and then you derailed it into the dumbest story I've ever heard. <laughs> this Continue. is the dumbest story you've ever heard? I think this wins. <laughs> you haven't heard the whole thing yet. I can't keep going. It might turn around. So I jump in the water. Is this going to get smart now? <laughs> is that what you're saying? It's exactly right. <laughs> I swim into an equation. So I dump in. Jump in. I dove you and dump. Jump. <laughs> you guys both mentioned dumping, 
dumping things. You said you walked in and people people say Irene. You said dump. And you said everyone says that when I walk into I the room. I was just saying yeah, yes said and you. No, Marty said dump. The word dump is circling. <laughs> and I don't today. like it ever. So I jump in, I dive in, yes, and then I push away all of the water, and then and then I'm like my eyes are closed. <laughs> And I'm I'm soaring underneath the water. <laughs> soaring under the water. Wow. You know, it is a poetic way of how I jumped in. And then my eyes are closed and I'm like, this is exhilarating. And then all of a sudden, my lips are meant with the cement at the bottom of the pool. And I bust my lip open and I chip one of my teeth. That's why I like Beauty and the Beast so much because I relate to Chip more than I do Belle. <laughs> this is a tangent on a tangent now. And then the the way that I fixed it is we didn't have any money and my mom didn't probably care that I chipped my tooth aside from, are you okay? But like, she's not going to fix my tooth. So there's these things that are electric nail filers and it just rotates really quickly. And have you ever seen this? It's a, <laughs> and I shaved the bottom of my tooth with the, with my sister's electric nail file and it fixed. And so I did the rest of my teeth. All right. Well, Caterpillar, I hope that really helps. Um, <laughs> At least you're not whatever Megan was when she was a kid. So <laughs> I took things into my own hands. Um, literally, this literally electric oscillating files. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Okay. Well, you know how much I would have cost at a dentist? Too much, like a lot. You, you know when you. Do you remember when I said we weren't fit to give advice? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the when you when your teeth grow in, they have little ridges, like tiny little ribbons? Um, yeah, I have them. You do? Mm-hmm. You know how you can get rid of that? Electric nail files. Right. I, oh, God. <laughs> Didn't that hurt? Um, it definitely created some calcium deposits, but then I just drank a bunch of milk and it was fine. <laughs> Did you also know? You are so weird. That's something that like is awesome about you. Is that weird? You know what is but, kind of weird but so cool? You might like this. Is when you lose a tooth. I mean, it's too late for you. <laughs> <laughs> But when you lose a tooth, no, we can get all, all, all your eight-year-old listeners are on the edge of their seat. <laughs> when you lose a tooth, you can drink milk and put it back, and it it kind of bonds again for a little bit until you rip it out. So you could lose that same tooth like what five times depending on how much milk about? you have. What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? Also, one more bodily cool thing that I found out as what a kid is going on with this interview podcast. You're... It's highly tangential. It's it's half advice. Half. My, you just said you can put. It's thirty percent advice. You can glue advice. your teeth back to your head with milk. <laughs> what the fuck is this? You can, but here's one more thing. So I really wanted freckles when I was younger, and oh if you take God. a pencil and and twist it into your skin for kind of a long time, <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking like five seven minutes, you'll end up having a freckle for the rest of your life. <laughs> in a hole in your arm. This is all right. So that's. I have a lot to say. Let's hear it. I just think that one of the ways I think you can make more friends by letting <laughs> this side of you out more, but to the right people. Is it, Are you not the right person? <laughs> Certainly not at this point. No. I'm here for it. Thank you. I think, yeah, you two compliment each other very well. <laughs> we Thank need, you. as if we need our friendship to grow more. <laughs> yeah. Because you guys are both like weirdos. Weird? You're a weirdo too. We're Absolutely. all weirdos. If you're not weird, you're not alive. I think part of going back to the caterpillar. <laughs> all right. Are you well, on well, top of the <laughs> I know what you mean, and I agree. I think a, a lot of social caterpillars, uh, 
have this thing because I have it too. Where I'm like, I don't want to be weird in front of these people. I'm afraid of expressing my true self. That's yeah. when I close off because I'm mm. like, if I express who I am and it's rejected, it hurts so much. For sure. So it's like that's why I'm saying like it's finding the right people where you can feel open being yourself. So I'm sorry for making fun of your that's weird right. stuff. Say it again. Uh, I'm not. You get one. That's it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and there we are. What's um, the weirdest thing that you found as a kid? About my body and how to attach does, things to it or doesn't have to, in general <laughs> doesn't have to be about your body but something that you discovered because I definitely discovered the lead freckle thing the, the, <laughs> <laughs> that was all of me I'm a pioneer what a discovery <laughs> beauty marks um, I don't know I'll get back to that You'll get back to I it? I don't know what was what I discovered that was weird. I was just, I was just weird. I was just doing magic tricks in my room as a kid all day. You're pretty good at magic. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Are you in the magic castle yet? No, it's like the one audition that I fear the most because I want to audition, but it's like a 15-minute audition for five zero. No, one five. One five. Um, and it's uh, you... I think it's that long. But basically, you have to do magic tricks to a bunch of magicians who know what you're doing. So it's so... Well, uh, it scares me, but I really want to. Uh, you I just have to put a routine together. Can I have a magician friend? Shout out to Brian Markinson, who's like, please let me help you put it together. And I'm like, I want you to. I just have to like get the nerve, man. Oh my gosh, you could easily do that. Uh, yeah, you would be so good at it. Yeah, I I love magic. Magic is so cool. And shout out to Derek Delgadio, who is changing the game He's with incredible. magic. Um, is he so? We should talk about him for a little bit because this is really cool to know for everyone listening. But his show is not available anymore. He's no. not doing it. No, it's done. He had a show called In and of Itself um, for like 15 months in New York that I saw 12 times. That's so funny. I know. And it was, uh, it's like my favorite thing. So, and he's got to be doing more stuff. Oh, I'm sure he will. Just That was so incredible. That was like the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. That was a weird night. <laughs> Yeah, that's my most embarrassing story, which we will not tell, but it is my most embarrassing, like, anytime, I get asked this question a lot, I'm not sure if you do as well, but like in interviews, people are like, what's your most embarrassing moment? Because I, my whole, like, online persona is like one big outtake, so there's, it's hard to pinpoint this embarrassing is, thing. This was a truly embarrassing moment. This was truly mortifying. I could feel my but face like slipping off. you don't like, tell it in interviews, off. I'm sure. Of course, I go, oh, well, I didn't know which, what it was until I've until I existed in this moment of when I was at the the show in and of itself. And it was just like, holy crap, I didn't know that I could be this embarrassed. Because I get embarrassed for strangers. Like, if someone does something... People are going to want to know this. I mean, you're not going to tell it, but, like, the listeners are like, what? <laughs> we'll tell it one day when I'm not embarrassed by it. It's just, it's it's a slip-up of my mind where I just... It's funniest from my perspective. Because <laughs> I've lost my mind, too. Yeah, it's for another day. It's really funny, though. Anyway, next question. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. In June, I failed my final exams, and as a result, my parents pulled me out of school. They are now making me study on my own at home until I can retake the exams next year. I don't know how I'm supposed to stay positive and dedicated to studying when I won't be able to see my friends every day. Brag. Do you have any advice wow. about how I can stay connected with my friends even when I'm being homeschooled or any tips and tricks for being a better student Aww, that's from nice. Homebound? Were you a good student? Yes, I was. Straight A? Squeaky clean, like I need everyone to love me. Well, first of all, I went to a Montessori school till high school, so there were no grades. 
But uh, so there were no A's, B's, C's, any of that. Did they just tell you you're doing a good job? Yeah, it's just sort of like you get a giraffe. You know, it's one of those. You schools. get a what? Like a picture of a giraffe. It wasn't really like that, but it was. <laughs> but it was yeah. I mean, we there were no, eh, that's not the Montessori method. Like, there's no it, it, Montessori is a very interesting. Are process. you gonna do that with your kids? I have no idea. <gasps> I have no clue. Maybe. What did you like the most about it? And it, tell people what it is if if they don't know. I I should be able to know because I remember growing up in Montessori and I can't I, I should have do more research to know exactly what it is. But like there's this Italian woman named Maria Montessori that came up with this basically this way of schooling um, back back in the day. <laughs> and the Montessori method is essentially a big part of it is that one the kids are very independent you show up at school there's no desks nothing like you work on like mats on the floor or your day is yours like mm. you get to decide what to do you call your teachers by their first name because they're so not wild. higher than you you're you know you get to uh, it's like building this esteem of kids also like the way they teach math and other things is like or like even like constructing a sentence it has all these like hands on visual things like i learned math with a bunch of beads on a chain like that's how they teach you math. It's all about colors and like literally or like there's this thing called racks and tubes where you use these tubes and beads to teach you how to do division. And I'm like what? excellent at math. Really? I, I think it's because I it worked for me, like learning. But like everything is very um it's it's very hands-on. Right. Um, and visual. Yeah, there's racks and tubes. Yeah, it's like little beakers. That looks um, like yeah, that so until I learned math. Like oh, it's So explain. Okay, so tell me what division is like with a beaker or I can't really I remember the bead frame and bead chain really well, but this I don't really remember. Yeah, oh my god, the little dishes. This looks you, like, like you're you, painting. It kind of felt like you were painting. Like it was. It's very much like a. It's almost like an artistic way to learn things. Um, wow. And some kids really thrive there because you literally you have your day to do what you want, so you cannot do anything if you <laughs> want to, and then you're asked to leave the school. Yeah. Um, right. But anyway, I loved it, and then I went to real. But I also like I'd watch TV shows, and kids would be at school. I'd be like, "That's not school. What is this?" Right. And I just like I remember like looking at kids sitting at desks, and I'd be like, "You'd sit at a desk, oh!" Because I'm also like so fidgety. I was like, "Right." Anyway, I went to real high school for high school, and I I was certainly an A student because I certainly. needed everyone to love me. Like that was well, it. Sure. It wasn't that I was smart. It's that I'm really. I I hate this about. Well, let's just get into it. The <laughs> the Western schooling system that we have, I think, is so messed up because mm. I'm not that smart, but I take tests really well, really well. I loved the SAT. Like I loved doing it. I'm, I almost aced it. I almost aced every test I took because I can memorize stuff, put it on paper and forget it right. really easily. I'm really good at that. And then I have so many friends who are so brilliant. They can speak to you about politics and art and world events in ways that I'm just like, duh, what? Mm -hmm. And they were terrible at test taking. And so they, it's, but it's like, I look, I had a good number going into college, but I don't think I was like that smart academically. I'm not like in intellectually that smart in my opinion. Um, but it looks like I am. And I, kids get so obsessed with these numbers and these grades and your yeah. GPA and your SAT scores. And to me, that's not what being smart is. Mm -hmm. Like being smart is, a, is being a fully rounded person. It involves so much more than just knowledge about things. It involves also how you interact with people and all that other stuff. So it's like I, I do feel like we put way too much pressure on kids to, you know, get those numbers high. Like that to me is like it's it's too much. It's too much to put on a kid and it, yeah. it drives them crazy. It, it makes you stressed and workaholics early. And yeah. that to me is not what life is about at all.
Yeah, that's definitely breeding it. I think I saw something that was like I, one of it was probably like a viral Twitter meme, maybe. And they oh, were uh, saying that the, it was a t- excuse me, a VTM. <laughs> that's right. Yes. Uh, I know nothing. As intellectual as you think you're not, I'm talking about a Twitter meme. <laughs> I, I know. Okay. So you know. <laughs> All right. It was something that is a, a, t- a teacher had said, homework doesn't exist anymore. Go be with your parents or something like that. Did you see this? Mm-hmm. You see everything on Twitter. <laughs> I am Twitter. <laughs> That's right. Hi, Twitter. Hi, Twitter. Can we have an edit button yet? Or We're working on it. Oh, sure. Keep saying that lie. But yeah, I don't agree with tests. I don't agree with homework. I don't agree with the arts not being there any longer. Like I I don't like so much about school, but that's why I'm done. But the question is not about me. It's about de- staying dedicated to studying. So it looks like this person's parents are making them throughout the summer. Um, what What is it? They study throughout the summer? Is the, that right? Next year, they're going to retake oh, wait, the exams. It's not the summer anymore. Um, so, yeah, I'm just trying to figure out, like, what their parents are making them just, like, stay in, like, on weekends and stuff, it sounds like. Yeah, or? just kind of, like, put studying first so that they don't fail the exams, the final exams next year. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. I, I don't know what age this person is. Um, but this is kind of just something you have to go through. I know. As much as we hate the whole system, right. it's that's the system. Yeah. So what can we – what advice can there, we give? There to- is a positive side to it. It's like you, you can learn – I, I do think you can learn responsibility and working hard to achieve something, like in following through. Like that's that's a good part about studying and getting a good grade. You'll have a lot of good self esteem once you do get those good grades next year. Um, it is hard at that age. I don't know what age it is, but any age in school to not see your friends when they're out doing stuff and you have to stay. Yeah. Home. Perhaps you can talk to your parents and be like, "Look, it's really important to me because I, I do think it's like it's a real argument, social life, and staying." happy and motivated to mm-hmm. live and see people is the most important thing. So maybe you can strike a deal. Like, look, on Fridays we go out to the movies or whatever it is we do. I really want to do that. If I promise to work, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for these amount of hours and show you guys my work and yeah. we work together and, and basically striking a balance where you can be like, I will, I promise I will be the um, student you need me to be this year. But I also want to be the person I need to be outside of it, and I want to find a way to make it work. And I, I bet you, you can find something that is not going to be your whole life just like, uh, you know, hanging out with whoever and freewheeling. But that can get old after a while. So it's probably nice to strike a balance. But what happens if the parents are super strict and there's nothing to like show yet and be like, I promise I will, or right. like here, you play the child. Yeah. Okay. You'll be the parent. Yes, that's right. Okay. Mom. What? Or dad. I'm the mom. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I get you guys confused. Um, no wonder you failed your exams. That's mean. Um, anyway, <laughs> I, I want to go out with my friends this weekend. You? Why? Why are you even asking you failed your exams? Why are you laughing? <laughs> um, it's laughable that you're asking to go hang out with friends when you can't do your work. No. Um, well, where's dad? <laughs> <laughs> okay, he's coming. <laughs> yeah, all right. So if that's what your parental relationship... <laughs> no, we're going through this. Ask me. Oh, what am I... Are we you have to ask me what, how they're going to ask their parents to 
strike the balance. Oh, I'm doing it. Oh, I'm, I'm going to do it. Listen, uh, so I really want to hang out with my friends. I know that I failed my exams last year, mm-hmm. and I feel very bad about that. But I want to prove to you that this year I'm doing all the work I need to do. But I also need to see my friends. I'm somewhere between the age of 12 and 18, and it's really important to me. Hmm. Interesting. All right. <laughs> <laughs> my thing is... It depends on the... What do you say? I guess I just... I'm confused on... Well, not confused, but I'm... I totally am with you. Uh-huh. I'm trying to prepare them for someone... For them being met with someone that's not on sure, board. Sure, yeah. Maybe the parents won't be... I mean, the parents come in all types of strictness. You know? I know. I'm just wondering if there's a way that we can help them show something, like like a progress report of some sort sure. before they, it's like, hey, oh. what if I take one test and if I get a B or above, then I can go out on Friday? Because I think the parents need something concrete to be able to trust That's true. Maybe, maybe instead of before you talk to them about it, you literally do, you show them that you're doing it. Yeah. that's a lot. I like that. Yeah. Because then it's like if you, yeah, maybe the answer is hunker down, do what your parents are saying you do, show that you're obeying what they're saying and do it well Mm -hmm. and then once they literally see the outcome of what you're doing is changing Mm -hmm. they'll be more inclined to have that conversation with you i think that's when you hit them with it once you can show that you can do it because if someone asked me that i'd be like how no there's no evidence that you're gonna do this that's a good point yeah thank you actions speak louder than words whoa i just made that up you just made that up (laughs) (laughs) um What's the worst grade that you've ever gotten in school? I got a C and cried one time. What was the subject in? Chemistry? No, it was in... Um, Mine well, was chemistry. That's why I say that. It was in... I think it was history or something that I didn't like. Mm. Um, but I remember being like, I'm not a C. I just remember like showing my parents like so upset. And they're like, it's fine. Uh-huh. Like, don't be like that. What? Are you, what's, it's fine, man. Like, it's oh, fine, man. It's fine, dude. <laughs> I remember the first dope. time I got a C, I, I hyperventilated. And I failed my driving test the first time. I'm not a bad driver. Okay. <laughs> All right, Rain Man. <laughs> but I, I, I was perfect enough. And then at the very end, I pulled in and one of my tires was on one of the cones and the cone was leaning against the back tire. And so they were like, you fail. I was like, this is really challenging. <laughs> That's stupid. Yeah. That was the hardest I've ever cried. Hyperventilated. Like, I couldn't... I My mom was worried for me. And she was like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. It was one of my lowest moments. See, this is what schooling does. It makes us kids think that if we don't achieve excellence, we have to hyperventilate and cry and stuff. And That's right. It's You shouldn't be crying because you got to see. It shouldn't... I shouldn't... That was... That's not good. Mm-hmm. That was not setting me up well for adult life, in my opinion. I know. C's suck. So did chemistry with that one teacher that gave me one. I wasn't great at chemistry either. You didn't like chemistry? I wasn't great at I liked math in, like, concept, but when it came to, like, actual practicality of it, like, in chemistry or physics, I was like, ah, it's, like, now too real. Like, I don't like that. <laughs> I like solving equations where it's just numbers. Like, that is so much fun to me. All right. Continue. All right. Um, <laughs> continue. Let's... I run the show now. <laughs> We can take a quick little break while Brian gives us an extra piece of advice you can find on meganbatoon.com slash podcast, and we'll be right back. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. 
VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You guys should all know everyone's shoes were demanded off when we sat down. So Absolutely. No one's wearing shoes here. It's more comfortable. I agree. I should have had us try and meditate, but it wouldn't have been long enough, and I would have gotten upset. You get real fidgety. I get too. The thing about meditating is such. It's so cool in theory, <laughs> but when I practice, I don't like being bad That's at things. That's why you need need it. That's why. You, uh. Okay. All right. Megan rolled her eyes. Can't deep there into just the back be like head. a quick like? meditation latte I can drink and then I'll no, just get the, the benefits whole, of it. That's the whole point is that it <laughs> it takes time of not doing anything. I would love to reach a state of nirvana once in my life. It's impossible. Okay. Well, then I guess I have nothing to strive for. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm done. You can get a little closer. You can take one step closer to it. Oh, I should put a candle on next time. Yes. Okay. Do you have a candle I can I'm take? so sorry. <laughs> I want a good fall candle. I told you about the candle. No, I didn't buy it. Do you Why have one? didn't you buy it? Why do you ask me and not buy it? Because you have so many. <laughs> I do have a candle drawer. I in know my house. you. Great. I'm going to take a candle before I leave. Okay. I don't have one with me. Before I leave LA. Okay. I'll get you a candle yeah, because good. all the other ones are stress relief candles and mama needs those. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'll give you a can. I'll get you a candle. Thank you. <laughs> what do you What do you like smelling? You know, Bed Bath and Beyond used to have one called Sweet Cinnamon Pumpkin that I loved. <laughs> um, it was it's a very. You turned into a seven year old when you said yeah, that. Yeah, um, uh, I know. <laughs> I get really excited when talking about candles. <laughs> I'm like blushing talking you about candles. You are. Why I, do you love candles so much? No, what's happening to me right now? <laughs> All right, continue on the podcast. <laughs> This is a part where we talk a little bit about you before we jump into other people's problems. What are your problems? I'm just kidding. Oh, I mean, we all know. <laughs> <laughs> we all know. What are, what's, what are you working on? You said you and Nick are filming a Britannic sketch soon. Well, by the time this podcast comes out, you will have already shot it, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we haven't shot one for the internet in a while, so we have a couple we're going to do over the next couple months, and then... I don't know. I don't know when we're going to put them online. We might do some live shows. We're doing one in San Francisco <gasps> soon and probably going to do one in L.A. soon. So we may premiere them there. Cool. I don't know yet, though. What's your favorite sketch you guys have done that's on your channel already? The answer Nick and I always say is on the house. Um, that's the one that's not hugely viewed, but it's – we just – I think it's so, it's so packed with mm-hmm. jokes. And it just took us so long to, like, figure it all out. I mean, I like that one a lot. I like – I don't know. It always changes. I think, I think the trailer one is really. Nice. Yeah, that one. I'm really proud of that one. Um, was that the first one that went viral? I think so. I mean, others went viral in a small way, but viral back in those days were very. That, no, that is viral. Yeah, but it's like, yeah, yeah, no, it was. It was definitely viral. But like, there were, the amount of views you would get on something back in 2008 to make him, for example, Derek Comedy, right? You know those mm-hmm. guys. Mm-hmm. They were everyone's idols, basically, when we started doing set. They were the biggest, they were the most subscribed to YouTube comedians on all of YouTube in 2008 with 15,000 subscribers. And Whoa. They, I, I remember like college, you had an interview with them where it's like, you guys are like so internet famous. You have 15,000 subscribers. What's that like? Whoa. And like, so that that's how it's changed. Whoa, that's So I'm telling you, like, crazy. It's, it, it means something very different now. Also, virality is quicker now. 
Yeah. Like I feel like when the trailer sketch came out, we, it was it was kind of the viral video for two weeks. Mm-hmm. I then like even just like three years later when we did Sexy Pool Party, it got 13 million views in a day. Yeah, I remember and then, that. Like, nothing after that. It was like in and out. Now I feel like you're viral for like an hour. Like there's so many things right. a day to keep track of, and it's just like it's just a whole different ball game. It is a lot. But you also mentioned that you're doing music yes, now. Yes, I'm playing a lot of music. Talk about it. I love it. I love it so much. I'll tell you this. When I first started doing music, so I've done so much comedy throughout my life, just going on stage doing in the capacity of stand-up or sketch or improv. It's always a little bit scary, but I've gotten, I think, pretty comfortable at it. The first time I went on stage at an open mic and sat at a piano, and I was like, okay, now I'm going to sing my vulnerable feelings at you guys uh, my Wait. throat like closed up i was so timid i kind of forgot the key. it was it's such a different vibe to sing singing yeah. first of all such a vulnerable thing to do well yeah and then when you sing like real shit like not comedy songs it's like there's no wall it's like you are just sort of expressing who you are mm-hmm. talk about like the, your weirdness coming out and people can either accept it or not like right. it's you have the potential to look real stupid or look transcendent if it's great. Was it a, a comedy open mic? No. it's The open mic I go to most of is one in uh, the East Village of New York called Sidewalk Cafe. And it's an anything open mic. It's awesome. It's like, Okay, cool. It's like New York's oldest open mic. It's like the crazies of New York come out and it's, you know, some people play guitar, ukulele, accordion, harmonium. Some people do stand-up. Some people dance. Some people rap. Some people dance? Some people do dance. You can do whatever. Some people read poetry. You get four minutes to do whatever you want to do. Oh, that's cool. And sometimes, like, you know, it's where Regina Spector started. So it's like, you know, sometimes you get, like, people who are like, you're incredible. And sometimes you get people um, like me who are like, hello, <laughs> I'm bad. Here we go. Ding, 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 ding. Bye. It's like, you know, it's you can do whatever you want. So I've started doing comedy music there, too, but it's harder because, you know, after 15 people going in a row singing like these beautifully soulful songs to be like, <laughs> here's a song about whatever whatever my comedy songs are about. I it's, can't wait to hear them. I can't wait to get better at them that I'm better at performing for people. But it's uh, been a slow process. Anyway, I've started performing like at other, like, you know, people have like music, uh, like review, almost like open mics in their house sometimes, which are so much fun. I lo- that's so much fun to me. It's like when a bunch of musicians just get together and do it on their own. Mm-hmm. And I've just been trying to like play for as many people as possible. But it's it's a whole other world writing music compared to writing comedy. And it's the same as well. It's like very different and very similar at the same time. What's the most similar thing between comedy writing and music writing? Um, they both have a rhythm like a rhythm that you need to like maintain. They both have like a speed and a rhythm and like a, a timbre. Is that the word? It's like a tone to it that like it's important to like figure out what your song is, like in terms of what you're trying to say and what like mood it's setting and sticking to it, in my opinion. Same thing with comedy. It's like once you find what your sketch is, mm-hmm. I think a problem with a lot of sketch people who start writing sketches that's like anything random comes in. It's like this and this and this and th- that's funny. That's funny and put it together. And it's like, no, you got to like, get out a lot of stuff and focus on the the few jokes that fit exactly what this sketch is about, like the tone or the mm-hmm. style or whatever it is. And music is kind of similar to me where it's like, oh, you can, you know, play around with keys and show off and do key changes or whatever all you want, but it's like finding what your rhythm is and what you're trying to do with this song and what you're saying is uh, really important. Also, what I found is you need to know what your song's about. Because when I first started writing music, I was like, okay, this song's about, I don't know, love, ding, 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 ding. Or it's like, <laughs> 
And All your songs sound the same when you ding, do ding, it. Ding, 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 That's it. I go, I say ding, 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 and there's no piano there, actually. <laughs> oh, I'm crazy, by the way. I don't know if you knew this. But, like, I would just be like, I mean, this song, and it's like, breakups. Oh, it's, it's sad. It's like, oh, I don't, I'm not saying it. It took me a while to be like, oh, I have to, like, have a thing I'm, like, talking about. Same thing with sketches. It's like, if you just sort of get funny people together and just make a sketch where, I don't know, this person, like, it's not really about anything. It's like, oh, it's, it'll be funny if you you fall over right now and then you, you'll come yeah. in and do this. Okay, great. You can't really cobble that together. You have to have like a, a thing at the core yeah. that like defines in music what the uh, the tempo is and what, what key you're in and all that stuff. In the same way with comedy, you have to have an idea that then defines, okay, what are the jokes? What is the build? What's the progression? So that's how it's similar. But it's, That's so cool. It's also just a, a totally different beast to have a piano in front of you. Yeah. So what's the ultimate goal? I don't know. Cool. To have Nick let me do some songs on a Britannic show. <laughs> One day. It's One getting day. closer and closer. The last I mean, if you let me dance. The then. last yeah, the last Britannic show we went to, you were you danced to super bass. Yeah. And it was so good. It was all wordplay. Uh, did I tell you how impressed I was? Well I, that's when I first met you. I was like, we dance similarly. I mean, you're good <laughs> at it, but like you it's like, oh, you like we like Picking apart the words and like kind of going like ding, 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 like one to the other really quickly. Yeah. And, I mean, you're like, that's literally what you do. Yeah. And yours expertly. was the, it was so good. I want, is it ever going to be seen if not a live show aspect? Like, um, can anyone if, ever see it? If we ever get a show on television, which mm. maybe could happen, I would love to do it. I would love to just make it a thing that's like, here it is, it's filmed. Look, mm. it hit so well that I'm not going to let it die. Like, it's, I mean, you it were there. It really was really popular. I had no idea. Basically, hey, for listeners, I've been working on this thing in my bedroom mirror for years where I play the Nicki Minaj song Super Bass, and then I act out every single word she says as she says it. Uh-huh. And it took me a while to get down. And then I did it on stage, and I was like, I have no idea how this is going to go. Like, I was like, I thought the music was going to play. And I was like, I might just be miming this to complete deafening silence. <laughs> no way. And then you guys went nuts. It was. It, it was, started slow, though. You did like a slow motion. So it's like it's half like, time, right? Yeah, the music, it's like she speaks so fast. I'm like, I'm going to play it slow and mm-hmm. act it out so you can see. Because if I just do it fast, you're kind of like, oh, what's his hands doing? 100%. But if you do it slow, I'm like literally showing you exactly what I'm doing with like each yeah. thing. Yeah. And that then, was my favorite when boom, you go boom, boom, boom and boom, you boom. hold like a boom mic. Yeah. I, th- it was just so smart. Thanks. I loved it. Thank and you. And then you do it f- full speed and then that's when everyone – because everyone's already dying when it's slow because they understand it. Right. And then when once they already know it, you see it full speed and you're then you feel more connected to it because you're like, I was here. I was when- here. Yeah, <laughs> when this is before, but this is faster? Weird. Yeah, it was yeah, It was great. Thank you, for, thank you for coming to that, guys. It was really fun. It was on what Valentine's Day. That's right. It was our Valentine's Day show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For all the singles out there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that was so very good. Well, I hope to see it again. You I hope, yeah, I hope that's not the last time you'll do it. I hope not, too. Okay. Can you show us now? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, you guys are going to love this listening over the podcast. <laughs> they just listened to Super Silent Bass. for three minutes and 28 <laughs> seconds. I just said Super Bass. Super Bass. It's a really big it's fishing It's a really trip. big mouth belly bass. <laughs> Let's help another person. No, okay. I'm just Ryan's thinking about, eyes I, I'm, I'm really thinking about super bass right now. Super bass? I'm just thinking about like if a bunch of like fishermen made a parody of super bass called super bass. Like I don't think I'd find it that funny, but it yeah. feels like something that they would do. Um, I, I'm going to talk to some fishermen and see if I can make <laughs> this happen. <laughs> if we can make this happen. Have you ever been fishing before? Trillions of times. You love it? Um, not really, but I grew, <laughs> okay, up, I grew up in the South, and I yeah. just, it was part of 
what you did. <laughs> One time I was going fishing, and my sister was about to cast her line. No. Is this going where I think it's going? Well, I don't know. Where is do you the think hook going to get stuck somewhere? That's right. And so she cocks back, <laughs> and it, the hook, I was standing behind her, <laughs> probably like, what, five feet, five, six feet? I don't know. You know what? And neither do I. <laughs> So she cocks back her line. The hook hooks right into the top of my foot, like where the no, where no skin is, like where all your bones are. And you got a, a freckle. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> a freckle with blood called a scar. And so she like, she lodges it and it's yanked into my foot. And she's like, why isn't it going? And I'm like, ah, ah, ah. and um, that was the last time I was fishing. <laughs> wow. So I've gotten a lot of emotional and physical scars I hope from my next, childhood. Uh, thing is fishing advice that we have. To... Uh, it absolutely is. It just changes. <laughs> it says, "This past summer, my friend and I started our own podcast, and it has been so much fun. But there's one major problem. Uh-oh. I have become way more invested in improving our show than my co-host. She likes to wing it when it comes to our topics, which leads to us saying the same thing throughout." Multiple episodes. I think I said the word thring, mm-hmm. which you is did. interesting. You did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just because you're winging it. I'm just. I'm just thringing it. <laughs> I'm just keep going. She doesn't contribute when I brainstorm, and she feels uncomfortable if she doesn't have any prior knowledge on a topic I want to discuss. Do you have any advice on how I can convince her to take our podcast more seriously and get her out of the wing it routine? From Pondering Podcaster. This is an interesting question because it involves two things that we we have experience at, which is podcasting, you. You've and, been on many podcasts. But you run a podcast. Sure. And being in a duo, me. Yes. So we can speak to those two different... Talk about the... That's, okay, this is what's interesting, the duo part. Because I think I maybe have talked to you about this before. But are you and Nick different in the way that you think about creating I think so. something? I, the answer is yes and no. Um, we are... Because I feel like lots of people are like, you guys are so different. And I think like if you really put us together and find the differences, yes. But we also are very similar, which is why we are a duo. Like... I think yeah, we do. We are very different in a lot of ways. We think about comedy, but our we have to be super similar to be a duo. I mean, it's like I'm probably closest to him in terms of how I think about comedy in terms of anyone else in the world. Mm-hmm. But we come at it from such different perspectives. I think. Um, I think Nick comes at it much more from a comedian standpoint. I think Nick is like a consummate comedian. Like I think the joke is so important to him. And that's why he's so good at it. Mm-hmm. And then I think I come at it more from, it's almost like why I do music, from like a, a, a rhythmic or like a bigger picture idea. Yeah. I, I'll, I've always said like, I think I think I come from ideas from the outside in and it kind of goes from the inside out. Um, oh, cool. That's what I, I, I think maybe he'd disagree with that. But like, like in the extreme example, I almost think Nick can like pitch a sketch where he's like, this joke, this joke, this joke. And I'm like, yes, but what's the what's the overarching thing? And he's like, yeah. I don't know yet, but those jokes are great. And then I'll be like, oh, I have an idea for a sketch. Um, this song and this color. And he'll be like, what are you talking about? It's a joke. And I'm like, I don't know, but can't you like see the whole like rhythm? And he's like, no. So it's like, I feel like we kind of meet in the middle from like those two, two sides sometimes. That's really cool. In that, if you were writing, a, if you came up with an idea or both of you were talking and you're like, that would be a cool, funny sketch. What, how do you go from it then? Like, do you guys sit down right together or you think of the same idea and then come up with what you do think separately and then reconvene? We've, we've gotten better at not being super stubborn with, I think that one of the th- reasons we work 
well is that we both kind of we kind of want to win over the other person sometimes. Okay. So it's like if one person agrees the other person's idea is good, that means they really believe it's good because you know I I wanted that idea, but Nick had a good one, so it's like all right, all right, that is good. We'll go for it. Yeah. But um, often we find that we need to be together to to, to come up with an idea because mm-hmm. we've done this before. One person be like, I have an idea. Let me just write a script and send it to you. And oh, then you get right. a script and be like, you've done so much work without me on this. Like, but like if we can just sort of like. Because often it's like the other person doesn't even enjoy the original idea. So it's like we both have to get together and be like, does this idea make you laugh? If it does, we'll often like figure out what about, what's funny about it and then beat it out. And if we can do all of that together, then one person will be like, let me go off and write a script. Mm. And then we can kind of go back and forth. But like we need to be together and just, you know, the like, artistic, process, artistic process is like wandering around and just chatting sometimes. Like that's most of our life often. It's just like really getting on the same page about something at a very deep level where we um, we just talk about it forever that by the time that we are writing it and are making it, we are so on the same page because we're just, it's been in both of us for so long. So I guess that's my first kind of answer to this is you need to talk to your partner and make sure you guys are on the same page about what you're doing. Yeah. Because there, I think there's probably a way to have a podcast where you wing it in a way where you're very prepared and there are two different types of podcasts and maybe you guys need to talk about like what exactly you guys are looking to do with your podcast. Maybe maybe you guys have the same um, goal but are coming at it from different perspectives or maybe she's kind of wanting to do something else in, or he and you as well um, and maybe you're not meant to be a duo doing a podcast which is okay. Like mm-hmm. if you're not meant to be doing something together artistically, it's okay to call it a day and be happy that you're still friends in other capacities. Or maybe you guys are totally meant to do it and you just need to work out your differences, which Nick and I have had to do plenty of times. And that just requires a conversation about what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely needs to stem from a conversation either way because if she says nothing and kind of harbors this and tries to get on board and this other person isn't even aware that this is an issue, it's going to eat you alive until you're not even going to want to do the podcast anymore. Yes, you have to say this is an issue for me. Um, Yeah. I I feel like you guys maybe talked about, um, but it's, um, yeah, it's just like really making sure you guys are both on the same page. And if it really isn't, like, then... You have to sort of find a new plan of attack of what you're what you're doing. I know. I do wonder. Like, I wonder if it was both of their idea to start it together, or if it was more of the the person who's writing in, yeah. the pondering podcaster, and then the co-host is just kind of like winging it because it wasn't their idea. Yeah, and maybe. so they're like, "I'm just here because you wanted this." Yeah, yeah, that's a huge thing. It's like sometimes I've I've met sketch groups where people have been like really oh, I'm so upset with the other people and it's like well this is also kind of your group that you pulled them into and maybe right. they're kind of not meant to be yeah if you if you both have I think Nick and I have such equal stake in Britannic that it yeah. makes us like fight through everything for sure but yeah it just it just depends on each person's it's just different for every uh, situation but I think my main thing is like just talk about it make sure you guys know know what each other want. Definitely. I feel like if it is the dynamic of what we just said, the host that's writing in, if she wants to be the kind of like the structured one with the when she brainstorms and knows how the episodes are going to be laid out and then having the co-host as like the wing it version. So it's like you have the two different totally people. Yeah, it could totally be an awesome thing that that both your energies are there. Uh, it sounds like if that's the case, you guys just need to just find a way to like 
make it flow better than it does right now. But like, that's a great point. Like perhaps that dichotomy of two different styles mm-hmm. could be a really cool, unique thing. Yeah, definitely. Just lean into it more. I guess just like making it a more cognizant decision. Yeah. Almost. That's so cool. I duos are interesting because I feel like when like get, being close to specific people, especially when it comes to artistic people, there's so much that you can't connect on. Mm-hmm. That's like that's so cool that when you figure out how to work with somebody else, it produces things like Britannic sketches, and that's amazing. And even us, like the things that we come up with with Britannic, if we have a Venn diagram of what I want to do and what Nick wants to do, it's kind of a sliver in the middle. Yeah, like that's why I'm off doing music and stuff, and Nick's off doing his own stuff too, because it's like yeah, we've realized like okay, it's it's great doing what we do, but there is there's still like a bunch of stuff that isn't me or like there's a, a lot of parts of me that just doesn't get to be in Britannic right that's when I I hardly ever collaborate with other dancers but when I do it's difficult for me because I'm like depending on who it is uh-huh. I'm like well no this would be better because of all of these beats and we're not hitting these beats or it could be more visual and it's like sometimes they want to do something completely different and I have to it's a definite give and take and I'm like the some of the collaborations I've done is like if I just would have done this all I would have liked it more I look. I can. Compl- that's why writers' rooms are tough for me. It's like there's eleven of us in this room, and I don't even know whose style of humor is what. And it's like it already takes me forever to write with Nick, who I'm really close to, in the same sense of humor. Like it's that's why a lot of shows I think become kind of this hodgepodge of a, mm. my favorite shows are often run by one person who just like this is their singular point of view. It's right. tough, but collaboration is also really good if you can get good at it. So. I understand that what you mean when you meet other dancers and you're like, I just want to take control of this because I have felt that a lot too. Yeah. Critically. But then also I've I've been learning to perhaps take a step back and let others enter my world creatively <laughs> a little bit because it's not good to be so controlling sometimes. Agree. I think collaboration is so important, but I think it's finding the right people that you want to collaborate with. Otherwise, huge. The... it's huge. It's all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Finding the right people to collaborate with and to have in your life. Yes. Why do you look like you're in a photo shoot? <laughs> you're so pretty. Irene always looks like she's in a photo shoot. Oh. <laughs> All right, now she's overdoing it. <laughs> As she does <laughs> right now. <laughs> Brian, do you have a time for one last question? Yes, I do. <laughs> but yes, we're I cutting do. it close. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be fine. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm catching a plane after this. Are you actually? Yeah, I'm going to Vegas. What time are you, is your flight? It's three. I'm fine. Are I'm you fine? Yeah, I like cutting it close at airports. Do you have a plane routine? Like when you get to the airport, do you get like a water, a Starbucks? Like what do you do? Um, no, I play by ear each time. Wow. I really, I, I love airports. I love going to airports and working or listening to music or doing whatever I need to do. I love just like going in the Delta Lounge and just like be. Delta Lounge? Oh, quick Delta little brag. Delta Reserve card, baby. <laughs> I remember one time you said that you used to take flights just to work because you can work on flights I so love well. Working on flight, I do. I, I just because everything else shuts down. Yeah. I don't like that you can text on flights now because I'm like, no, this is the whole point. Is that like I love? This is the whole point of flying. Is that is I can, to not text, that not can, to get somewhere. The quick. whole point of flying is so you can work on your screenplay on your laptop. <laughs> I'm so focused on flights. It's crazy. This I do. I do like taking flights. I had my first time in a business class for like flying overseas stop i didn't pay for it It was not for it was oh you didn't pay someone bought it for you (laughs) double humble (laughs) double humble (laughs) it's a new gum yeah it's the best thing 
It's take. crazy to lay down. I was like, I this is one of the horizontal seats. Yeah, yeah man. It's, but it's it wasn't. Nice. It wasn't first class. But it was like almost. <laughs> so it's an almost brag. Okay, humble and a half brag. <laughs> humble and a half. My first book. <laughs> okay, ready for this? I think so. I'm confused about how to balance school and a part-time job. I'm currently in college and taking six classes, even though teachers recommend that you only do five. Here we go. While I'm loving all my subjects, my workload is very time-consuming. On top of that, I'm planning a trip next year, and my parents have asked me to contribute towards the cost. Recently, I was offered a part-time job that I'm super excited about, but I don't think I'll be able to balance all of my classes and go to work. Should I drop a class even though I know I will regret it, or just try to make my schedule work? From working overtime. Wow. Regret. Let's talk about regret before we jump in. Oh, Jesus. Have you regretted anything in school? <laughs> You're going to say in life. You're like, yeah. Have you anything in school? In college. Have you regret? In college? Did you regret anything in college? I mean, yes, but not related to schoolwork. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, if I'm... Trying to think too. I guess the only thing I regret a little nothing huge, I don't think. Is not retaining some of the Yeah, sometimes the, I wish I'd like just taken classes that were like someone t- told me like college is wasted on eighteen year olds who don't give a shit. Where it's like when you turn like thirty, you're like, I'm interested in these subjects, I want to take classes. I on. know. It's like, oh right, because I, I was just trying to just like breeze through a hundred and I went to fucking art school too, where I didn't even have to do shit. So it was. Oh well, I, was, I had to do things. Well, I mean, I had to. I had to make films and stuff. But oh, like, that's my, cooler. Yeah, much cooler. Um, but uh, <laughs> okay. But like, even my other like, oh, I have to take like a normal class. All right, take what psychology? Yeah, psychology. But it was like that's so. F- yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fun in theory, but psychology one hundred and one for five hundred kids isn't real psychology. It's I know, little, like, right. Uh, I don't remember what it was. That's um, why I think after 18, after you graduate high school, I think you should not be allowed to go to school until like five years later, unless you're like a doctor and you need to, we need doctors. (laughs) But like, I feel like figure out what you want to do first instead of this, this construct of like, this is what you do at this time in your life. And then whenever you're 23 or 24, whenever you get out of college and then you don't even use your degree. It's kind. It's nuts because, like, think about it. When you're five, you want to be a fireman or, or whatever. When you're ten, you want to be a baseball. I'm just talking about like little boys. And then it's like it always changes. Then at eighteen, it's like, all right, now you decide what you want to be. And it's like, why yeah. does an eighteen year old know? You're always changing. Like, mm-hmm. what? Like so many, so many people don't do what they went to school and majored in for four years and spent all this money because it wasn't really what they wanted to do because they didn't know yet what they wanted to do. Yeah. And then they like have a midlife crisis and change. Then, if they're lucky, I mean, like, I I went to film, and luckily, it's it's pretty much in the ballpark of what I want to do. But like, I, I was one of those things where I was like, I don't, I think I like this. I like it right now as a teenager, I but know. I don't know really what. So I, I, it's interesting. You're, I, I kind of agree with what you're saying. What I hear is you completely agree with what I'm saying. You always hear that. <laughs> Even I think the times where I've been like screaming at you saying I don't agree with what you're saying, you hear I agree with what you're saying. Absolutely. Um. Yeah, balancing, I mean, this is also a thing that's, like, different per person because, you know, you said you would regret dropping a class, you think. Yeah, um, they said that they would regret it. it. I guess you have to weigh how much you'd regret it, like, if that makes you stay in school another semester or um, the fact that you seem really excited about this job seems nice. Like, yeah. That seems like, and if you need to contribute to this vacation, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm almost likening this to the other question from before of like making sure you have enough free time right like you you don't want to overextend yourself um if you don't need to um really if 
I, I don't know. I, I definitely, this person sounds like they're probably a workaholic. Not a workaholic, but like someone who. I'm not ex- offended. Who excels. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to offend you. Um, then I'm offended. Uh, yeah. Well, my thing is, I wish I did know like how they're currently in college, but like how much in college are you? Like I would love to know if they're trying to get out or if they've been in college for so long that they're also trying to get out, you know, like what part of it is there. But if you have, if your workload is already so time consuming, there's no room to have a job. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's like, I'm worried. I don't want this person to be like (laughs) doing six courses and having a job and having literally no free time. Right. Because I think you might talk about regret you have one youth to live. Yes. And it's like you don't want to regret not having that. Yeah. yeah. I didn't have a college experience. And not that I regret it, but it would have been cool to be able to relate to people. Like when people are like, yeah, I went to this college party or like this frat thing. I'm like, huh? Like even I went to a private art school. So like we didn't even have frats and sororities or a cheerleading team or a football team. No one was there. <laughs> it was a population were, were, were of Were you one. just like in a room by yourself? That's right. And I called it college. Uh, like me and my piano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was so, such a nothing college experience. So I've, I kind of, I don't regret it, but it would have been cool to have a college experience. So I feel like, yeah, coming from a person that is a workaholic, maybe take a break and live your life a bit. Because... I, I know, like, people listening, they don't understand, but, like, the two of you know how much of a workaholic I am, and that's been detrimental to other parts of my life. So if if, if I can give you a piece of advice, it would be to work a little less on your actual work and work a little bit more on your life. Wow. Only the two of you are going to know how much that, how much gravitas that has, because that's if you're... That's why we're, like, speechless when you said that. <laughs> I went to a uh, like a, a like a druid ceremony with Megan like a month ago in New York. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. Ooh, and you also had to speak about like I did. You know what? And the reason, okay, so let's paint the picture of this really quick. So it was this was like yeah a month ago, and it was on a day that there was like a not a lunar eclipse, but just a full moon, I guess. Something, yeah, something was, moon related. And it was like they were gonna do a ritual of new energy, so you're like gonna say bye to your old stuff and then set intentions of what you wanted this new cycle of your life to be and Brian's usually very I mean always open and ready to connect with people I want to a lot but I have trouble opening my mouth when I don't know people I don't I don't like to be vulnerable unless like willingly so if she had (laughs) this lady had little candles and then you're gonna have to help me because my memory is hazy we wrote like our intention on that right? right like or what we what we wanted to change or like make better about ourselves, I think, in the new moon mm-hmm. circle, and we burnt them. Yeah, we burned it in a little like china dish. Yeah, because she didn't have a cauldron. Right, right. And so she, <laughs> so she used. Oh yeah, these were witches, right? Yeah, I think she was. I think she wanted to be a witch. Oh. Can you just be a witch if you want to, or yeah. is it hereditary? I don't know. But anyone I've ever met who identifies as a witch, I love them. Anyone who's like, I'm a witch, I'm like. After ten minutes talking, I'm like, "You're awesome." Which is a rock. Most of them, <laughs> the good witches. Is rock, dude. <laughs> He's a warlock. <laughs> I, I a think warlock. I'm a wizard. <laughs> we said warlock. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I changed it. <laughs> so yeah, we wrote our intentions down, and then the lady, the witch, excuse me, said, 
anybody that wants to share, go ahead and share. And they're playing like some like lucid music in the background. And so we we're all just kind of silent for a bit. And then I was like, okay, any minute now, Brian's going to say something. And then so he didn't. And I was like, okay, should I say something? And my heart was beating so fast. And then Brian goes, I'll say something. And I was like, okay, good. <laughs> and then so I remember he, that because I was like, I don't know anyone here, but all right, here we go. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. So he shares his. Um, beautiful and I think that's the reason why everybody else opened up it just takes one person it takes one that's what to I've open up situations if you hadn't done that I could have just been sitting there in silence I think it would have been five minutes of silence and then the witch would have been like thank you so much <laughs> please clean up <laughs> but you opened up and then it I don't think I was the next one I was like I can't be the next one and then a couple more people opened up and then I, I said something similar but it was much more vulnerable and gave a little backstory on why I said it but I don't know why I'm telling the story I guess in the end your life is more important than sometimes your work. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. I do think sometimes. Other things happen, blah, blah, blah. Moral of the story. <laughs> did I miss any key ingredients of the story? No, it was great. It was, you did it perfectly. Oh, then we, oh, then we sang on stage for That's like right. an hour after that. For no one. The, yeah. Everything cleared out and it was my friend JP who was on a previous episode of this podcast and Brian. So talented. And he's amazing. So it was Brian, me, and JP and I'm not musical, so I was kind of dancing because it's the only thing I can contribute to. And the two of you were playing music, and I was just kind of there, which is good. Until the witch kicked us out. <laughs> the witch did kick us out. But at least I was doing my intention of being... What was my intention? <laughs> I can't remember. I don't listen when you speak. <laughs> Who cares? Helping working overtime. Should they drop a class? Yes or no? Quick answer. Um, 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 I think you should drop a class. I think so, too. Drop a class. Drop a class. <laughs> <laughs> That's just like the, the high class but going to again, middle class, middle class going to low. Drop a class. Drop a class. Um, I'm an idiot, and don't take my advice. Do whatever you think. Um, that's how I want to end that. I think we should end on, I hear you, but I'm going to change what you said. <laughs> I think we should end on the, the other thing that you said, which okay. is like, you have one youth. You don't regret youth. that. Yeah, don't regret your youth. Yeah. Have it. Have it. it. Own it. I like that. I think we've helped. Uh, <laughs> I'm certain we have. And if we didn't, at least you heard some stories. At least you heard some stories. You were entertained, had a good time. Not the most embarrassing story. No, but, but now your brain's going crazy wondering what it could possibly be. I know. I still get embarrassed thinking about it. You should be. What it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is embarrassing. You ruined my life. <laughs> Honestly, for a little bit. But... It's more embarrassing for me than it is for you because I showed how dumb I was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think when people started coming up to you after the show and saying like. That was, well, I was also crying uh, mid-show. I know. <laughs> so. was, it was very emotional. We'll tell that story one day. In the meantime, <laughs> thank you so much for helping. Thank you for having Where me. Where can we find you on the internet? Um, I mean, you can watch stuff at Britannic.com or on our YouTube channel, which is YouTube.com slash Britannic.com. It is, it's not YouTube.com slash, it's not everything is dot com. Dot com is written out. Because you know why? Is it really? Derek Comedy, I think. No, they had Derek. No. I think, yeah, I guess this was just Your channel is just straight up slash Britannic. I think it now has become that. It wasn't for a long time, though. Someone else owned Britannic. No. And like, we never had it. And then I think recently we went and it worked. See if it goes to Britannic.com. Or our YouTube channel, if you just type in Britannic. I think it YouTube. does. Because when we oh. did that video, the Kim Possible one, I just linked Bright, unless I linked a wrong YouTube channel. <laughs> no, it may work now. Um, so that, and then, I don't know, just, you'll see me when you see me. 
<laughs> okay. Just wander around the open mics of New York. <laughs> that sounds like a fun time. There it is. Right, Tanny. Let me pick my favorite video. Yeah, please. Can you go <laughs> to the videos and then scroll down, and I will tell you which oh, one is I like my favorite. Oh, I like Dinner Party a lot. I think that, one's I, that was the that first one I've ever clean. seen. The first time I ever, sh- that's the first video I ever saw, and I was like, I showed everyone. I was in the dance community only at that time. I had right. no ties into it. I had no comedy friends. I didn't know anything about anything aside from dance. And I started to go, yo, this is good and smart, and it makes my brain feel fine. Like in a fun way. Good. <laughs> so the dinner party was the first thing I ever saw. Okay, let's go. Can you come cl- come closer? <laughs> that was a quick little JP. JP tangent. callback. <laughs> we go. Okay, let's. The faux pas, the foul line, definitely real. Much ado cast interview, sexy oh, pool. On the house is one of my. Nick favorites. and I actually love the much ado cast interview. It's funny. Which I think is our least watched one. You know what? Most- oh, I know my favorite. Tell me everything. Everyone, that one is a huge, actually, what's it's, funny is we have a sketch that we're going to do, I think next month, that is kind of a, not a sequel to everything, but almost like it's... An homage? Yeah, it's no a very more. similar type of thing, but uh, it's wow. like a, a list sketch, like everything. I but love it. People really like that one, and that one, here's a, if you're a Britannic fan, fun fact. I am! That one is by far the quickest conceived, so from the conceiving the idea of everything, the idea of like, you know, oh, we should do a sketch about this. To it being done and online, 24 hours. No. The quickest one ever. It's so, I remember like when I started getting really into sketch structure, I was like, this is what it should be. Yeah. Every time, like this has, hits all the marks. It's so quick and tight. There's no dead space ever. And everything is necessary. That was. And it's. Perf- it's a perfect sketch. Thank you. That one is also like, that was definitely a mix of mine and Nick's minds because that editing was something I really wanted. To, I, I think I play with the rhythm of it so well. But because mm-hmm. so, we shot that overnight. And so we, literally Nick just has to name every fact. And so it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's a lot of it was like, all right, Nick, just say stuff. And Nick was like, what? What? And I'm like, I don't know. Say anything. And so it's just like, a lot of it's just like Nick improvising. <laughs> You'll notice there's a, on the cork board behind Nick, there's a picture of Tom Hanks. And literally, like, Nick looked at it and went, Tom Hanks is generally a kind person. And that, like, made it into the thing. Uh, That's so it's really like, good. Literally, that's just, like, reaching for shit in the middle of the night. It's an, it's incredible. Yeah, we there see is. the picture right there. That's yeah. so funny. Generally, if it wasn't more improv-based like that, how many takes of each line do you do? <laughs> I do about one or two. Nick does about 30 of himself. <laughs> and then when we edit, all of Nick's of this, he's like, he'll be like, hey, let me try something. What? Hold on. Let me do it again. What? Let me do it again. What? <laughs> what? Like, let's move on. Wait, hold on. What? And then we'll edit it. And I'll edit a take. Uh, it's been it's happened so many times where I'm like, I'll show Nick the schedule. Like, I like all of it except every single take of mine. I'll be like, here, you know what? Here are your takes. Yeah. Put you in. <laughs> but I like to do one or two takes and get out of there. Because I just know right. as an ed- I think it's because I edit it. Yeah. Or I'm like literally the person who is spending the time like touching the keys and looking at it for so long that mm-hmm. I'm like, if we if the more takes you have you you will look at all of them and you'll start going crazy. And so yeah. I, I try to keep it uh, less. But, you know, sometimes you have to – it takes a while to make sure yeah. uh, a shot is, is good enough. So it depends. <laughs> depends on the take. I know. That's how I am with dance, though. Like, especially if something is a one take, I'm like, I can only do this seven times max. Uh-huh. So it's a lot. Because the worst thing is getting into Premiere or whatever your software is and being like, I wish it was different. Yeah, it's very true. That's the worst when you like don't have what you need. Yeah, so. yeah, in life too. Jeez. Okay, what's a? We're gonna try something new where we wrap up with a song. Oh. What's? <laughs> no, no, no. 
no, no, we don't have to. <laughs> like white country. <laughs> I know you can, <laughs> you can improv sing one, but no, no, no. We're going to play a You're song. You're going to play a song? He goes, all right. He like stands up, all right, fixes finally. his tie. Super bass. <laughs> oh, that should be. The oh, one. we should. Yeah, we'll do super bass. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Yeah, we'll wrap up with super bass at the end of um, all of these podcasts. This point forward, we're gonna wrap up with a song that has to do a little bit about the podcast or a fun little callback. In today's is super bass. But if you have a sticky situation or burning concern, email us at justatipshow at gmail.com and be sure to sign off sleepless in Seattle style so we don't out your true persona. Also, put your age. It really helps us. Also, also, rate us five stars because every time I eat at that table from the beginning of this podcast, I feel very, very lonely. And what will help that? Five stars on the Apple Podcasts. And if you see Megan, just like be her friend. Oh. Yeah, mainly that. Let her know that she's not as weird as she thinks she is. <laughs> or do. As you made her feel. <laughs> as I make her feel every day. You need to offset the way that I <laughs> make her feel. That's right. Now here goes Super Bass. He always in the air, but he never fly couch. He a motherfucking drip, drip, tell her all the shit, shit. When he make a drip, drip, kiss him on a lip, lip. That's the kind of dude I was looking for. And yes, you'll get slapped if you're looking ho. I said, excuse me, you're a hell of a guy. I mean, my, 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 you're like pelican fly. I mean, you're so shy and I'm loving your tie. You're like slicker than the guy with the thing on his eye. Oh. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Somebody please tell him who the F I is. I am Nicki Minaj. I match them dudes up. Back coops up and chop the dudes up. That was a HeadGum Podcast.